0: Welcome to Febrile, a culture podcast for all things infectious disease. We use console questions to dive into ID clinical reasoning, diagnostics, and antimicrobial management. I'm Sarah, your host and a MedPeds ID fellow. And we have another Febrile Digest episode today, which are bonus episodes this one I'm excited to say is kicking off some collaboration episodes with the Society of Infectious Diseases Pharmacists, SIDP, and their podcast Breakpoints. And so we'll have this intro episode talking a little bit about working together with ID physicians and ID pharmacists. We'll have a case-based episode coming out on October 10th. And then we'll have an episode on Fever of Unknown Origin that will be coming out on October 14th through
1: Breakpoints.
0: I want to welcome our guest today, Dr. Rachel Britt. Rachel, can you say hello and introduce yourself?
1: Yes. Yeah, so my name is Rachel. I am a pharmacy clinical practice specialist in infectious diseases at UTMB Health in Galveston, Texas. Uh, I am Texas native, did pharmacy school at UT Austin, Hook 'em horns, always like to plug <laughs> UT. Uh, and then I went up to Boston for residency training. So I did a PGY-1 pharmacy practice residency and a PGY-2 infectious diseases residency at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center in Boston, which coincidentally is where <laughs> Sarah is. So We just miss each other. I feel like I knew who you were before I Actually knew you. <laughs> yeah, I think I transitioned out right before you transitioned in. Yeah, uh, but yeah, on top of my job at UTMB Health, I currently am the chair of the SIDP Publications and Podcast Committee. So our committee is in charge of editing and producing our Breakpoints podcast, and so I serve as a host on Breakpoints. So if you listen there, you might have heard me before. But I have to say, this is my first time being a panelist and not a host. So <laughs> the tables have turned. Well it's gonna be great. And it, it goes without saying that
0: hopefully everyone who listens to Fabral already listens to breakpoints. Um if not, it's very easy. We'll we'll put a link to everything so that people can can start listening if they're not already. And so today we were gonna chat a little bit about the the when and the what of our ID fellow or attending, I should say, and ID pharmacist collaborations. And so I know I speak for Everyone, when I say it really is a privilege to get to work with really awesome ID pharmacists, I feel really lucky, Um, but also ID pharmacy trainees, which I think a lot of people, depending on what center they're at, get to interact with. And so I thought to start, I would ask if you could give us a little bit of perspective about the process of becoming a specialist in ID pharmacy.
1: Sure. There are a few different paths, but I'll kind of go over some of the major ones Um, And I think it's good we're talking about this because I actually get a lot of curiosity from my medical students when they rotate through ID Mm -hmm. consult service. They don't know a lot about the pharmacy training pathway, but it's a little similar to – the medical training pathway or the physician training pathway, in that it's a four-year professional doctoral degree. So it's a four-year PharmD. A difference, though, is that you do not need a bachelor's degree uh, to go into pharmacy school. So that's what I did. I'm what they call a two plus four. I did two years of undergrad in a pre-pharmacy track, and then I did a four-year PharmD. After that, in pharmacy, um, you can either you can stop right there in your training and go get a job, but to be an ID clinical specialist. Usually, what will happen is you opt to do a PGY-1 residency. I generally equate these to the intern year of a physician residency. Uh, You rotate in all different areas of the hospital. You do a lot of longitudinal projects. Um, But something I want to point out, that residency training in pharmacy is completely optional. So... You can elect to do a PGY-1 and stop there. But if you develop a love of infectious diseases like I did or any other specialty, Mm -hmm. you can opt to do a PGY-2 residency in that specialty area. So for ID, you would do a PGY-2 residency in infectious diseases, uh, which I usually equate it to a physician fellowship. So Mm -hmm. overall shorter. It's two years total training. There's another pathway that you can do in addition to PGY-1 and PGY-2 pharmacy residency or on its own, and those are clinical fellowships. These have more of a research focus than clinical practice focus, and they can be related to bench research or clinical outcomes research. There are a lot of different programs, um, but that's another area, and those can prepare you for a a career in clinical practice research or academia. If you're interested in learning more about pharmacy fellowships, we actually did a whole Breakpoints podcast episode on those in December 2021, so you can go take a listen there. But basically, the entire residency and some fellowship training process prepares you for clinical practice in an inpatient or outpatient institution, taking care of patients, and then possibly academia. Uh, Then after residency graduation, you can opt to get board certified. So if you've ever seen your ID pharmacist with BCIDP letters, Board Certified in Infectious Diseases Pharmacotherapy – That You can do that after you finish a PGI-2 residency or if you have a certain number of years experience in the infectious diseases area. But this is not required. Um, A lot of people do it because it's a requirement for precepting in pharmacy residency programs. Currently, uh, some people do it for professional satisfaction. A lot of institutions incentivize it with pay raises or career ladders. Um, But it's not technically required to be an ID pharmacist.
0: I see. That makes sense. I actually didn't know that that last part, but it makes sense. Um, So, you know, I think often our perspective as as fellows is interacting with ID pharmacists during consult rounds or sometimes in the outpatient setting, but I know that my Pharmacist friends are very busy doing tons of other things all over the hospital. And so I thought I would ask if you could just, I know you can't have a totally comprehensive list, but talk about other places where you're able to find either niches or sort of special positions in the hospital. Because I think that this behind behind the scenes work is, is really critical for us to do really great patient care.
1: Oh, yes. I would say actually the bulk of my job is done off of rounding or even off of Mm. uh, daily stewardship activities. So I'll go through some of the things that I do. Other roles that I have within the hospital are involvement in our antimicrobial stewardship program. So as part of that, we have meetings and we work on projects. We analyze our stewardship-specific metrics. We also here, my institution is a little unique in that we have a lot of C-suite Support. Well, maybe not. But we are very fortunate that we have a lot of C-suite support. Uh, and we are actually a high value pillar organization for the institution. So we report directly to our CMO and meet monthly with him to talk about stewardship goals and metrics. And we get a lot of um, financial and um, institution support through that so though we have meetings to work on those and to meet with our team uh, to establish what initiatives we want to work on to establish task forces and process timelines for those and then to assess um, and evaluate how those initiatives are doing and then reporting that data back out to the institution so all the core stewardship metrics is basically what the cdc core elements <laughs> for stewardship are we don't we do those and then there are also some other committees relating to that so A lot of institutions will have an antimicrobial advisory subcommittee to the Pharmacy and Therapeutics Committee. Uh, Your ID pharmacists will be on those, and they might even be the secretary or chair of those. And in that, you do a lot of stewardship program activities as well, but it's more focused on formulary decisions. So, if there's a new antimicrobial vaccine, uh, anything related to the infectious diseases space that comes out, or and it's requested by a physician, or we think it might be important to evaluate, we'll do. A monograph evaluation, and see if there's a fit for it in our institution. And then we also develop a lot of guidelines and protocols for the institution um, from an official capacity in those meetings. Your ID pharmacists also might be participating in non-ID committees, um, but pharmacy committees or hospital committees. So drug shortage committee is uh, one here that we're involved in, <laughs> and because unfortunately antimicrobials are often on shortage, or they're fluids <laughs> that they go in. So they might be serving in other pharmacy committees. And then also uh, a lot of institutions now, too, have pharmacy residency programs of their own. So as part of that, we serve in preceptor roles and do a lot of precepting and mentorship. Um, I At my institution, we have a little bit of a smaller program, although we're expanding now. So I guess I, we're going to be bigger next year. But we have two PGA1s currently and one PGA2 ID pharmacy resident and so they come on rotation with us, and we do a lot of pre-rounding, topic discussions, um, evaluations, and feedback, as well as mentor them on their longitudinal research projects and responsibilities. Uh, and then we also do a lot of recruiting for our residency programs, just like how um, physician fellowship programs or other training programs in healthcare need to do recruiting. We do that. So. We prep recruiting materials, uh, we go to the meetings, we go to showcases, we ha- house virtual showcases, we host our program Twitter and social media accounts. Mm-hmm. So there's, it's almost like a second job uh, in that in itself, but it's very rewarding and it's great to see the development um, of those residents. Lastly, for ID pharmacists around the hospital do a lot of education, or I hope everyone gets the opportunity to do that, but here at our institution, we have uh, schools for different health professions. So, we give lectures here to um, NP students, PA students, MD students, and we also do our participate in the core lecture and journal club series for the ID fellowship programs and the medical residency. So, we're constantly running around um, in a stewardship capacity or it's an independent educational capacity, giving lectures, teaching, trying to be an educational resource. So, that's the summary of different roles and jobs in the hospital in terms of clinical and administrative work. Uh, other pharmacists also have research as a significant part of their job, and in a lot of clinical jobs, unfortunately, there's not protected time or funding for this, so if you see your pharmacist doing research um, and they are in a clinical role, it's probably all optional work, that they're not necessarily getting paid extra to do it. They just do it for the love the love of research, um, so some are lucky enough to have funding for it in time for it. but. Either they're doing their own research projects with stewardship programs or often doing work that is publishable and helpful for um, a national and international audience, but A lot of pharmacists, like I mentioned before, the pharmacy residents have requirements by the accrediting body for the program to do a certain number of projects a year and certain types of projects. So the ID pharmacists, if there's an ID project, they're usually going to be a mentor on that project and involved um, in some way. So we require a medication use evaluation and a full research project with a completed manuscript by the end of the year. So we're very involved in that process, and the goal is to publish um, those. So... On top of all the clinical and on top of all the mini- administrative roles, there are research roles. And then on top of that, <laughs> if you're interested in other things, um, there's organization involvement. Not everybody does this. Again, everybody finds their own niche and professional interests. Um, but there are lots of pharmacy and infectious diseases organizations. And then SIDP is the Pharmacy Infectious Diseases Organization, as well as the IDPRN in ACCP. And there are tons of leadership Positions in those committees, ways to get involved, um, and a lot of work to be done in that space on the national scale to move the profession of ID and ID pharmacy forward. Also, people can give CE talks at meetings, they can join industry advisory boards, they can be associate editors for journals, they can sit on state stewardship committees, they can do volunteer work. There's literally so much that they're probably <laughs> doing. Um, and this is just the stuff that I'm aware of. So if you imagine that, there's probably multiplied by like 10 times of all the opportunities yeah. and stuff that your ID pharmacist might be doing outside of the team workroom.
0: Yeah. Awesome. And, you know, now I wanted to ask you a little bit about understanding how we, meaning trainees or ID faculty positions, uh, how we can work best together. And I think the first question is, like, when should we call you? And and what types of questions should we make sure that we double check and and get your guidance on?
1: Honestly, the summary. I love this question because... I think it's super important to optimize the relationship between all members of the inter- interdisciplinary healthcare team. But to be honest, just call us for any question you have. Even if we're not able to answer it, we can probably direct you in the, <laughs> to the right person. We, pharmacists, I would say, are just people who really want to be helpful and be a resource. And we do have a lot of tools under that belt. So call us for any question. Um, ones that we will probably be able to answer directly and the most um, is any question about therapy so we can handle any and all of your dosing questions, uh, a lot of inpatient institutions now, I think the majority of them actually have pharmacy-to-dose protocols for vancomycin and aminoglycosides. Um, and then some institutions that are really on the up and up and the cutting edge even do therapeutic drug monitoring for other antimicrobials, including beta-lactams, linazolid, antifungals. So anything like that, we are more than happy to help you with that. Honestly, we've probably already taken care of it and have it in a note somewhere, so you don't even need to ask <laughs> us. Just check the chart. Um, but other things that we can do are um, helping to dose optimize based on organism and MIC patterns. So as we know, there's some resistance mechanisms that can be overcome with those optimizations. So we're pretty skilled and familiar with the CLSI M100 and can tell you when those situations will happen. Uh, we're also speaking of CLSI M100. I have a major love for it and my <laughs> micro lab. I could read the CLSI M100 like a like a novel. <laughs> So much we'll put co- a link. We'll put a link for that like it's an advertisement. <laughs> There's so much good information there. Oh my goodness. Yeah. But anyway, speaking of that, usually because of our capacity and roles within the antimicrobial stewardship programs, we usually have close relationships with the microbiology lab because um, stewardship programs can collaborate with the micro lab to do a lot of really strong initiatives like cascade reporting, nudging comments, et cetera. So if you as an ID fellow or faculty don't know your micro lab personnel very well, you can reach out to us and we can help. Uh, we also might know what resources and technology turnaround times are available to. so Um, encourage you to develop a relationship with your micro lab, but if you don't have that currently, we might be able to help some of those questions. Another really important part of being an ID physician is being an antimicrobial steward, and who better to teach you antimicrobial stewardship than ID pharmacists and stewardship pharmacists? So that's another area you can call us. If you have any questions about stewardship or need any training in stewardship, uh, we would love to help you with that, and we're very knowledgeable with that. There are also stewardship, as as I'm sure your audience knows, there's also stewardship-focused physicians, too, that can help. But um, we're a great resource for stewardship training, and if you want to do a rotation in stewardship. Um, Transitioning to some questions that might come up in direct patient care and on rounds, uh, great questions for us as ID pharmacists are in transitions of care. We can help with outpatient insurance issues. We can help um, come up with creative regimens when the first-line option isn't possible, either due to um, patient-specific factors or insurance and coverage-specific factors. We can even do discharge patient counseling if needed for specific antimicrobials. We tend to know the stability of drugs and what pumps they can go in and what the options are. And we also can help review and streamline things for discharge and ease of administration. And I know um, OPAT and COPAT is a field that, has really been flourishing and the expertise of those pharmacists on that outpatient side I think is invaluable. So if you're in clinic, reach out to your OPAT pharmacist too and ask them those questions. Um, We also can help really choose the best drug dose route and duration. I would say that Mm. we especially love to use the shortest duration possible and are pretty familiar with that literature. So if you ever have any questions or just want to debate it because, you know, everything's gray in ID, that's a great reason to call us. Uh, another area, I know I'm just like ticking down this big long list, but hang on. Um, <laughs> another area is allergy reconciliation um, and penicillin skin testing. Some institutions have that available. We have it through allergy consults at my institution. But at some institutions, the pharmacists actually do the penicillin skin testing. And if not, they can probably help you evaluate if the penicillin allergy is real. Um, the first thing I do when I see a penicillin allergy is say, mm, I'm skeptical and go back at the med history. <laughs> yep, <same. laughs> yes. And see if they've gotten it before. So um we we love to poke holes in a penicillin allergy and make sure the patient gets the optimal therapy. Uh and then drug drug interactions, drug lifestyle interactions, drug diet interactions. We, have, we are trained in a different perspective than other healthcare disciplines. Every healthcare discipline has their own perspective on a chart. And for us, we are picking out those interactions. We are picking out those details that we know might interfere with medications. So especially with things like ART and antifungals or rifampin, we're going to do a scan of that med list and really help you figure out what's tricky, what's clinically relevant, and what you what, what's probably okay to leave alone. We also have creative solutions for people who might have um, – a typical lifestyle schedule so for example we can help somebody who works night shift coordinate how to take a q8 or q12 medication when because most people most of those things are framed in um, the context of people who work like a nine-to-five maybe so we can help get creative and work with the patient to find out the best way that it will work for them So with all of that long list, I'll stop there, even though there's probably a lot more. Um, But I just want to say, don't be a stranger. There's so many things that we can help with and that we want to help with. And we really do want to help. So when in doubt, just call your friendly neighborhood pharmacist.
0: Love it. And I think the flip side to this question, you know, all of us have calls or questions that can sort of... um, you wish were phrased differently or were thought about differently. So what are some pet peeves or, or little things that you think we could be thoughtful about when we're working together, asking questions, Any, anything that sort of uh, you would suggest we keep in
1: mind? I guess maybe I've been very fortunate. I think infectious diseases um, specialists are some of the most friendly and collaborative people on the planet. So <laughs> I haven't had a lot of situations where I'm left wishing that the interaction or the question like went better, but I do have a few like tips and tricks uh, in a few areas that I think could help. Um, So the biggest one, especially on the inpatient side is non-formulary medications. Uh, Just if you're thinking about something about recommending something that's non-formulary, just please don't forget to loop us in as soon as that thought pops into your head. Um, Just because there's the non-formulary process varies from place to place And it's kind of long and multi-step and there's a lot of barriers. Um, but we are the ones, the ID pharmacists are the ones who navigate that when it comes to antimicrobial non-formulary approvals. So we can really help you navigate that process and make your life so much easier. And in, in the beginning we can discuss collaboratively, collaboratively with you to see if there are any alternatives that might exist, um, before even pursuing that option. Cause sometimes there's substantial cost burdens to the patient that just can't be overcome. But, um, a lot of times, I will say like sometimes I get I get the the response that oh, antimicrobial stewardship is just all about cost savings, um, and that is definitely we do cost savings is an important part of antimicrobial stewardship and part of our job as ID pharmacists. But I will say it's the last thing I think about when I'm evaluating a therapy. First, think about efficacy, then safety, then cost. So if there's a medication and collaboratively it's a non-formulary and it's appropriate and the patient it's the best thing for their care, I'm definitely going to help you. I just need some advance notice because there's a pathway that I have to go through. So again, if you're thinking about non-formulary, that's great. Let's talk about it together um, and let me help you because if it's a Friday afternoon, 4 p.m. and the recommendations just dropped in the note, there's not much I can do for you until Tuesday of next week. So just helps to know that ahead of time. Um, The next thing I will say is, um, this is like a little bit of a personal pet peeve. And maybe I'm just being too maybe I'm just being too uptight about it. But I just it, it bugs me a little bit when people call stewardship the antibiotic police. Because mm-hmm. even though I know it's mainly a joke, it has a little bit of a neg- negative connotation that I sometimes think is carried through. And really, we're not the police. We're on the same team. Um, And we have the same exact goal as the primary team. We're not opposing them. We're all just trying to do the best thing for the patient. And often that's starting or even escalating therapy. It doesn't mean like trying to make you stop everything all the time. We're just trying to protect antimicrobials um, so we have them and, and can keep all of our patients safe because each additional day of antimicrobials causes harm, but we're also a resource for everyone. So here we have an antimicrobial stewardship pager um, that we encourage our primary teams. If you have a question and you don't think it warrants ID consult, like it's not to that level, please feel free to page us because we can help you work out those issues. And if we don't know the answer, if it's something we feel like is outside of the scope of stewardship, we'll just recommend a consult anyway. So really, it's a win-win situation. Um, And again, we're all very friendly and we love to help. So... um, please, please think of us as a resource as opposed to like a gatekeeper, I guess. Uh, Something else that is a, is a don't, I guess, is don't hesitate to teach us your wheelhouse. We're not necessarily trained with the diagnostic and imaging perspective, um, but we love learning about it. And we need to know your whole differential in order to help you pick the best medication and option for the patient. So we love to learn too. And I, I love um, when my fellows and my faculty explain to me a certain surgical procedure or a certain imaging finding, and I learn a lot from that. And it usually helps me to frame what my recommendations are. So yeah. that would be please, please teach us back. Uh, we we love to teach each other. And then I guess the last don't I would say is don't ever feel like you're bothering us. We are. We want to be a resource, and we would rather you just ask us than get then. Um, try to like like slough it out on your own right we're a team we're very collaborative so when in doubt like you're not bothering us like don't apologize for paging or texting it maybe if it's like two in the morning or something and we're not (laughs) on call but other than that like please do not hesitate um we we love to help so don't ever ever feel like you're bothering us
0: yeah I mean I think that's the key message right that we're all on the same team and just trying to do the best thing for the patients Um, well, any final parting thoughts? This was such a great intro. I I hope that most people are already well aware of this and already are on teams that have a good relationship, but for those who haven't, or maybe for trainees who aren't necessarily in ID quite yet, I hope this can give them a little bit of uh perspective, but any other thoughts?
1: Yeah, no, just in summary, don't be a stranger, reach out to us. We're part of your team and we're here to help you. So any question imaginable, you can feel free to throw it our way and we'll take a swing at it. Um, Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This has been so great. I'm looking forward to uh, the reactions to our other collaborative episodes together coming up. Yeah,
0: It's going to be so great. Yeah. So everyone will have to check those out. Um, We'll be doing sort of a a case that traverses a lot of common questions that i have called emailed or asked for help on um and then i think our our fever of unknown origin episode is is really great. So thank you again for coming Rachel. Thanks for having me. If you are not already following, please make sure you are subscribed to the SIDP Breakpoints podcast. I will see you here next week for our case-based episode on Febrile, followed closely behind with the collaborative FUO episode on the Breakpoints feed right after that. As always, you can check out the website, febrilepodcast.com, to find the consult notes, which are written compliments to the show, our library of ID infographics, and a link to our merch store. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, and I'll see you next time.